0: Uh, let's open in our Bibles to, uh, we've been going through 2 Samuel, and tonight we are going to be looking at another chapter that's fairly difficult. You know, 11, 12, and 13 of Second Samuel have been very um, very difficult, because they deal with topics that we don't like to talk about, but it is the Word of God, and therefore we, we go through it, we don't skip over it. Because if it's here, there's a reason for it, and certainly for our nurture and our admonition, for our encouragement, even to bring us into conviction, even. And and God does that, doesn't he? (laughs) He convicts us. And it's because he loves us that he does so. If God didn't convict us and bring conviction at times when we were going astray, then we would be illegitimate children, the Bible says, But I, like you, need to be chastened from time to time, and hopefully not as often as we'd like. None of us like to be chastened. Doesn't the scripture tell us that? None of us like to be chastened. And we see David going through this time of chastening, and perhaps one of the uh, few darkest times of his life, I think the first dark moment of David's life was when he was on the run from Saul after God had anointed him to be king and yet being on the run for at least uh, probably between seven to ten years, actually, until finally Saul was killed in battle by the Philistines and finally when he came into the kingdom and was only over Judah, actually. He ruled in Hebron for seven years, seven and a half years. And it would be... uh, that time before he would actually have dominion or his kingdom broadened to include all of Israel, and he reigned in Jerusalem for thirty years, or 33 years, total of 40 years. And so David, now that he is king, he goes through this time period where the season in his life where I'm sure he would just love to erase and start over again, where he had the... Adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and then trying to cover it up, he kills Uriah's, uh, or kills Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, trying to cover it up. And a year goes by while David is still reeling from this. And finally, the Lord puts upon the heart of Nathan the prophet, David's seer, if you will, and he comes to him and he says, and he gives him a parable about a lamb being taken from uh, a man and and given to uh, another man. And David, as a shepherd, naturally he's incensed and full of rage and anger and says, the man that has done this thing shall surely die, although the law tells us that if somebody steals a lamb, they're to re- restore it fourfold. So for a stolen sheep, you'd restore it four sheep. But David not only go, does says that, that he should restore fourfold, but then he, he includes even more on top of that and said, the man who does this or did this should surely die. And Nathan Breaks through all of David's madness and his deceit and hiding and says, David, you're the man. You're the man who stole that precious ewe lamb, that precious ewe lamb from Uriah. You stole Bathsheba, his only one, and you took her to yourself. And then you murdered her husband. And do you know that David was worthy of death on two accounts here? And yet, because of David's repentant heart, God forgave him. I find that remarkable. Because most people are after (laughs) bloodlust. They they want uh, justice to be done. And God is a God of justice. But do you know there's a difference between somebody who is continuing in their sin versus one who is truly broken and repentant? God can see through that. He knows the heart. Aren't you glad that he knows your heart? We can't look at each other and see each other's heart, but God can look through us like we're translucent glass. He can see right through each of us tonight, and he knows exactly what we're thinking, where we've been, what we've done, and he has forgiven us by the blood of Jesus Christ. He never will look upon our sin again. Aren't you glad for that? Because I deserve hell. And I hate to say it, but so do you, right? We don't like to talk about that, but that's the truth. I deserve hell, and I knew that I was on my way to hell. And yet God saw my heart, broke my heart. I repented of my sin, and I'm continuing to repent of sin. But David, there was something about him that God just found, he just couldn't resist him. Because in spite of David's flaws and his faults, and despite, in spite of his sin, God saw a man who loved righteousness. And David broke. He really broke. And he was never the same again. He was never the same again. God had forgiven him of the sin, and David was very thankful. And in fact, I think at the end of chapter 12, it says something really remarkable that, that David said. It's actually in the, um, uh, the 22nd verse of chapter 12. Remember, the, the, the child of Uriah, or I'm sorry, of David and Bathsheba, the child became sick after it had been born, and, and he knew that the, the child was in peril. And then finally, the child does die. And David, his servants are wondering, why is he getting up now and washing himself and eating? And one thing that David said that I think is so profound, especially for the Old Testament. (laughs) He said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me? That the child may live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me." Do you understand the, the gravity of that statement? David had the chutzpah to understand that God not only forgave him of the sin, which was pretty incredible, honestly. I mean, any one of those sins are huge, and he did them both within a matter of short period of time. He knew that God had forgiven him. But he also knew, do you see in what he said there? I believe that children, when they're infants, and before the age of accountability, which is different for every child, I believe when that child dies, that child's spirit and soul return to God. I believe that with all my heart, because God is a good God. He's a good judge. And David knew, number one, that he was forgiven, and he also knew that he couldn't bring the child back, but that he was going to go be with the child. And where is the child? Where did David know the child was in the spirit? He knew the child was in glory. That is profound. Think about that. So regardless of what your sin is tonight, regardless of what you've ever done in your life, do you know that there is a God who can forgive and he will forgive you? All you need to do is confess it to him and come to him. On his terms, not on yours. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that has saved us. There's no other salvation given among men whereby we must be saved, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to God but through Jesus Christ. Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? I am the only way, the only truth, the only life. There's no one else that can get us. He is the mediator, the one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, God in the flesh, the Logos. Only he alone can get us to heaven but we have to believe in what he did on the cross and give our lives to him, become born again, the spirit of God indwelling us, covering and and, and pushing and suppressing this old nature within each of us. Do you know that there's two natures within you? You know that nature because the nature that says I'm gonna, I want to serve the Lord and I want to have a clear conscience and I want to serve and I want to bless others and I want to get into the word and I want to worship God and I want to have a clear conscience, that's the spirit of God working in your life. And your old nature is the one that says, you know what, I'm not going to church tonight. I'm going to the bar. Or I'm not going to go to church tonight. In fact, I'm going to watch the, and there's, again, there's nothing wrong with watching series or television, but you know there's better things you can do with your time. But the old nature wants you to kick back. The old nature wants you to cave into the flesh. The old nature wants you to forsake those things that God wants you to do, that are best for you, because the flesh always yields the flesh. If I give into the flesh long enough, it just wants more. It wants more. But like the Bible says, I need to crucify that old man within me, that old nature. I need to continually do it day by day, He's paid the price for me, Jesus, but I need to crucify those members in my body daily. That means the lying and the stealing and the the lustful thoughts and the, the anger and all these things that we hate, that we know are sinful. We need to look at those honestly and crucify them daily and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we will walk in the spirit, not in the energy of the flesh. And so David was walking in the energy of the flesh. The child dies, and David makes that statement. I can't bring him back, but I will go to him. And I find it interesting. Actually, you know what? Let's, let's read chapter 13. Let's read the first 22 verses of this. After this, it says, Absalom, after the, the child dies, David is restored. He, he, he gets up out of his doldrums. He, he, he eats. It says, After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? And Amnon said to, said to him, I love Tamar, my brother's Absalom's sister. And so Jonadab said to him, "'Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. "'And when your father comes to see you, say to him, "'Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food "'and prepare the food in my sight, "'that I may see it and eat from her hand.' And then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill." And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and, and he was lying down. And then she took flour and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and she placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. And then Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. And then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made, and she brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. And when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me my sister but she answered him no my brother do not force me for no such thing should be done in israel do not do this disgraceful thing and i where should i take my shame and as for you you would be like one of the fools in israel now therefore please speak to the king for he will not withhold you from me or he will not with uh, he will not withhold me from you however he would not heed her voice and being stronger than she he forced her and he lay with her And then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. And so she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. And then he called his servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And a servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. And then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her. And laid her hand on her head, went out crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. What a miserable brother. I put that commentary on myself. I just want to put that in parentheses. What a miserable brother. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. As we read this, it's very difficult to read of a situation like this, and these are real things that happened in history. This is not just a story. You know, sometimes we talk about stories in the Bible, but they're not stories. I don't even like using the word stories, me personally, because it gives the impression that it's fiction. But these things are real. This is history. And why is it here? It's here to encourage us and also to warn us and to reveal God's plan of redemption and to reveal God's Heart, and also to show the heart of man. I don't know about you, but I'm not really impressed with my own heart. I'm not impressed with the heart of man. You know, I'm 51 years old, and I've been around long enough to see the detriment in my own heart, the sin in my own heart. I'm, I'm old enough to have gone and maybe done many things already in my life especially before Christ. And I look back on them now, and did they profit anything? There is nothing good that comes out of sin. The wages of sin, what we deserve from sin is death. And it may not be a physical death right now, but it could be a death to a relationship. It could be a, a death in a relationship. You're, certainly your relationship with God if left unrepented. But it's a death nonetheless. And friendships and marriages all get hurt, and some even get destroyed, and they never recover. And those that do recover are not quite the same. And so it's, it's serious business, isn't it? And, and this is really hard to look at. Now, what we see here tonight is the working out of a prophecy that God had given to David as a result of what he had done. God told him, look with me over in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Look with me at what it says because we're seeing the beginning of that happen literally in the chapter we're looking at tonight and it's going to be meted out over the next several chapters god is going to be working and these next several chapters encompass a few some years some time but god is going to allow david although forgiven of the sin of the murder and the adultery he's going to allow him to reap the consequences Notice what God said to David, and and he said it through Nathan. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man, and thus says the Lord God of Israel. Here it is. I anointed you king over Israel, David. And here God is speaking to him. And I delivered you from the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you've killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, and here's where the the, the blow comes. Here's where the, the hammer falls. Now, therefore, because of what you've done, David, now, therefore, here's the consequence of your sin. Yes, I forgive you. Yes, you're restored to me, but there is a consequence for this, and I'm going to allow the consequence the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised, notice me, you've despised me. Not that you despise despised Uriah or even Bathsheba. He didn't even mention You notice that? The ones whom he sinned against, he didn't even mention. Our, our first sin is with God. Whenever we do anything, it's against him, first and foremost. Then, then everybody else, right? So God says... You have despised me, and you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. We're going to see that. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. And for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So the sword will never depart from his house. And we're going to see tonight that, Lord willing, it's a, it's a lengthy chapter, and we're taking communion this evening. So when we're looking at chapter or verse 10 tonight, and we're going to see that the sword is not going to depart. It's going to begin. It's going to begin here. And then we're going to see verses 11 and 12 being meted out in the subsequent chapters. In that order, by the way. Chapter 10 is looking at at chapter 30, or I'm sorry, um, verse 10 and chapter 12 is really speaking to the chapter we're looking at tonight, chapter 13. In Numbers, if you recall, in Numbers 32, Moses... God, through Moses, actually, is speaking to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh before they go into the promised land. Those three tribes wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. The land was pleasing, and they're like, you know what, we don't even want to go over into the promised land. I know God has promised us that land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what, this land is really nice. we got lots of places to feed our cattle. We want to stay over here. And God says, if you want that... You need to go over and help your brothers fight in the land because they've got Canaanites, giants in the land. They need, you, they need you to go over and conquer that land. And once the land is conquered, then you can come back over. And he says, and if you don't do this, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure. And see, and that's the same true as for David. It was a year before he was discovered. And it's the same is true for us. May we come quickly to God and ask for forgiveness and repent and turn from all known sin in our life. But what we're looking at tonight is the consequence of that sin. Verse 10, the sword shall not depart from your house. And we can't run away from sin. We can't run away from consequences. David in Psalm 139 139 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell or in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall follow me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, God. He can see through the darkness. But I love again, before we get into this, I love the promise of John in his first epistle. What is it? If we confess. If there's one verse that you need to memorize this week, memorize this verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is such a precious promise. One of the most precious promises in the Bible. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess, he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, God does forgive us, but we we do have sometimes consequences. And let me suggest to you that there are a number of people, even in the church, who get tripped up over this idea because they assume if they're still experiencing or are experiencing consequences for their sin, they believe that God has not forgiven them. And I can understand the emotion of that. Because when you're going through something as a result of your sin, and there's many things that we can do that will cause consequences. Alcoholism destroys families. Your kids may never want to be around you again. Adultery, your wife may never want to speak to you again. And then she takes the kids, and the kids are with her. And there are consequences. And you may, every day, you're faced with the consequence. And many people, many Christians because they're going through the consequence, they think, well, God hasn't really forgiven me because it's a heartache, isn't it? It's like a constant reminder of my failure. But does God do that? Does God say, no, you haven't, you haven't done enough. You haven't done enough. And I'm going to keep pummeling you. God is not that way. Yes, he forgives. He can restore you, but there's consequences. Back in verse 1, it says, After this, notice, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Now we have three different characters in this chapter. Uh, certainly Absalom, who was David's uh, son. David had six wives and six sons when he lived, lived in Hebron before he moved to, to Jerusalem and became king over everything. Um, he had six wives and, and six sons at that time. And Amnon was the first one and uh, Kileab was the second one. He must have died at a young age because there's nothing left mentioned of him in the Bible. But then the third one was from Absalom, was named Absalom, from a different mother. Each one of these six sons had different mothers. And so Absalom is, is, a, is a major character in this. His name means father of peace. And we're going to find that he will ultimately kill David's firstborn son. Spoiler alert. <laughs> He's going to kill him. He's going to kill Amnon, Absalom. And in subsequent chapters, he's going to also seek to overthrow his father's throne. And ultimately, he will die by the hand of David's nephew, Joab. We look at Tamar. Her name means palm tree or date palm. And she's the daughter of David by Maacah, the same, the same mother, the same woman that gave birth to Absalom. So Absalom and Tamar are from the same mother. They're their, their full-blood sister and brother. And we find tonight that she is raped by her brother, the firstborn of David, Amnon. And we look at Amnon whose name means faithful. And I'm sure that was the hope for David that his firstborn would be faithful, but he doesn't turn out to be faithful. He's the oldest son of David, the rapist of Tamar, his half-sister, ultimately slain by his half-brother Absalom. In fact, in 1 Chronicles, you might want to just write this off in the margin of your Bible, because this kind of gives you the, the lineup of the, of, the, of the names of David's sons. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, the first nine verses. It says, These were the sons of David who were born to him. The firstborn was Amnon. And I'm bringing this up to you to understand where the pecking order is. Because as we go through this, you're going to see the dynamic of that being important to understand. Because Amnon was the firstborn. He was the one, the heir apparent, if you will. And so he had certain privileges. He was the firstborn. He was going to at that time, for all known purposes, he was the one that would ultimately inherit the throne of David. And then the second, Daniel, or Achilleb, seems to have died when he was young, but he was... Uh, his mother was Abigail the Carmelitus The third, and we read about him, Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Jeshur. And it goes on to the other brothers, which we won't get into. But in verse 9, it says These were all the sons of David, besides the sons of the concubines, and Tamar, their sister. And so Tamar is the full brother of Absalom. And that's important to know because there's a relationship that's deeper there between Absalom and Tamar. And now you've got another brother. Amnon, the firstborn, who raped Absalom's full sister. So if you think that, you know, the, um, you know when you look at the different uh, soap operas today, this is, a, this is a huge one. I mean, killing, intrigue, adultery, lust, lying, stealing, cheating. I mean, it's all there. But notice in verse 2 what it says. Now Amnon, this firstborn, this heir apparent, he was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick for she was a virgin and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. The idea of being distressed is to be in a strait. He was vexed over her. This man had such an unbridled lust for this young girl, probably 17, 18 years old at this time. He was completely off the rails in his lust for this woman. He was distressed. And this is not only lust, but isn't that idolatry and covetousness? It is. Many people think that idolatry is just worshiping the statue or or some other inanimate object. But biblical idolatry can also be spiritual idolatry. Idolatry against God the Creator, Jehovah. The worship of a person, another person. A worship of a job even. The worship of a position, an idea. But idolatry is when we will be willing to do anything to acquire it. It's all we think about, it consumes our every being. Have you ever had moments in your life where you coveted something? I think we all have. I know I have. And that's a horrible taskmaster. It's like you're not happy until you have what that is. And then do you ever find that the Lord sometimes allows you to to have what you've been lusting for and you realize it really wasn't all that, all what it was cracked up to be? It's true. In Colossians chapter 3, it tells us. Paul says to the Colossians, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. And this is good exhortation for us this evening. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And here's the... Exhortation again, therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication. Think of these in relationship to Amnon. Put, away from, put, the, put these to death, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you, live in, when you lived in them. But this verse, verse 5, where it says, these members, fornication, uncleanness, evil desire, passion, covetousness, which is idolatry, this sums up Amnon to the T. It sums him up. And one of the commandments, right? What does the commandment tell us? In Exodus 20, verse 17: You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, none of his things. So we find that already the commandment is being broken. And notice the exhortation in Ephesians 5, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For you know that no fornicator or unclean person, no covetous man, which is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Ouch. That really hurts, doesn't it? But that's the person who continues in that lifestyle. Because such were some of us. But we've been washed. We've been cleansed. We've been restored, renewed. Don't look upon the grave clothes of the past. That will only depress you. Remember who Christ is and what he's done for you. And notice that it was improper at the end of verse 2 there. It was improper for him to do anything to her because, number one, it was his sister. They were brother and sister. And there had been no arrangement of marriage between the two of them. If Amnon really wanted her to be his wife, this seems like it could have been arranged. Remember in verse 13 what it says, when uh, Tamar, she says, Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. If, if, if you really want me, Amnon, then just talk to David. And it wasn't uncommon for a half-brother and a, and a half-sister you know, to, to be married. Moses and, and, and um, uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah were that. They were half-brother and half-sister. It wasn't uncommon, but you got to do it the right way, in God's way. She's saying, "If you want me, why don't you just talk to my dad? I'm sure he can arrange the marriage, and we can be married, Amnon." But why are you doing this? And I, I really marvel at this because he lusted for her so much. You think that he would just—it it makes me realize that it was more. It, it was nothing more than just a physical attraction, a physical lust. There was... What was going on in his heart? Did he really love this woman? No, he didn't. He says he loved her. We just read it. He said he loved her, but he didn't really love her. He lusted for her. It's a different kind of love. But Amnon, notice, had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimeiiah or Shemaiah, Shemaiah, Excuse me, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very crafty man. This this man Jonadab was uh, obviously David's nephew. And the son of his brother, Shimea, or Shammah. Do you remember that name? Shammah? You probably don't, but it's okay. Because you remember when Samuel came to Jesse and wanted to examine his sons, and God says, out of one of Jesse's sons will be the king that I've appointed. And remember who appeared before him? It's recorded for us in 1 Samuel 16. They all come, from the oldest to the youngest. Eliab, he comes first. And God's like, no, I haven't chosen him. The next one, Abinadab, he comes. God says, no, sorry, Samuel, I haven't chosen him either. And then Shammah, this is the gentleman. His name is Shimeah. His name is also Shammah, or Shammah, excuse me. This is the, the man whose son has befriended Amnon. They're all related. But Amnon had a friend, and notice he was a very crafty man. This means a very intelligent, skillful, he's cunning, he's subtle, he's wily. Do you know what that means? He's deceptive. He's a deceptive friend, encouraging Amnon to do things that aren't right. Have you ever had a friend like that? Have you been like that with somebody else? Instead of being a good friend, you, you lead them into sin, or maybe you are led to sin by your friend. This is the kind of character Jonadab was. But what does the Bible tell us? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Didn't Jonadab give Amnon bad counsel? Here's what you do, man, if you really want her. This is what you do. Play like you're sick in, the, in your bed. And, and he gives him the whole scenario. He's like, yeah. That's like a great idea. The worst thing that could have happened. The worst thing that could have happened. In Proverbs 1, verse 10, it says, My son Solomon pleading to no doubt, no doubt Rehoboam his son. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. In and, and Proverbs 1:15, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot far from their path. This is what Amnon should have done. Why was he listening to this man who was going to be leading him And that leads us to, you better be careful who you hang out with. And for the young people, for anybody listening or will listen to this later on, be careful who you hang out with. I've hung out with some really nasty characters in my life that got me into more trouble, and because of my own sin nature, I was willing to go along with it. But be careful. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You become like the company you keep. Eventually, it's like osmosis. You can say, Well, I'll be high and holy, and I'll be a witness to them. And if you are, praise the Lord. But what often happens is that person who is governed by a different spirit begins to rub off on you and you start to compromise that's usually what happens you'd better be strong you'd better be hanging in there you'd better be careful about those you run with and if they are not solid christians beware and he said to them why are you uh, uh, Jonadab says this to Amnon why are you the king's son becoming thinner day after day will you tell me and Amnon says i love tamar What he really should have just said is, I lust for my sister. He says, I love her, but he really didn't. And it's interesting, in the Greek language, there are at least six words that are translated love. And four of them are only found in the Bible. And actually, to be truthful, only three are actually in the Bible, and one is inferred. (laughs) We have eros. That's a, a sensual kind of love, a passionate kind of love. It's portrayed to us in the Song of Solomon, but the word never shows up in the Greek. It never shows up, even in the Septuagint. They don't use the word eros, so it's not found in the Bible. But storge, yes. Storge is the familial love, like you would have for a family. And then the phileo love, like you would have for a friend. And certainly agape love, God's unmerited favor, a very benevolent, self-giving, self-sacrificing kind of love. That's the ultimate expression of love but in the Hebrew language, there's only one word, unlike the Greek. There's only one word for love, and it's ahab, or ahav. It's where we get the ah- ahava. Do you ladies have any of those ahava products from the Dead Sea? That's what it means, love. Oh, I love my skin. It feels like a baby. Believe me, you put that stuff, you go to the Dead Remember that? We went to the Dead Sea, and you smear that black mud all over you, and it's so rich with chemicals. You're pickled. I mean, you're like this walking I don't know. Just a, I don't know what it is, but it's true. You put that on there, you feel like a baby. You feel like you've just been born again. Why did I go there? I don't know. But anyway, love, yes. I started to think about when I was floating on the Dead Sea and reading the paper. Ahab, that's what it means. One word in the Hebrew for love. And it's up to the reader in the context to understand the context to understand what the word really means. And we know in this context, as we read it and understand it by the Spirit of God, he didn't love her. You don't kick a woman out of the house after you've made love to her or done what he did, his rape. He didn't make love to her. He just, whatever. But anyway, you don't do that. He didn't love her. So Jonadab said to him, and here's his great hatch plan, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, tell him to you know, bring Tamar in, give me food, prepare it in my sight, Notice that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Those are his desires. And Jonadab is showing his deceit here. He is very cunning. And then when Ammon laid down and pretended to be ill, and the king came and uh, and, and came to see him, and Ammon said to the king, please let Tamar, my sister, come and make me a couple of cakes. Notice, in my sight, that I may eat from her hand, in my sight, from her hand, you get the point? He doesn't want to just be fed. He wants to see her making it, and he wants to be fed from her hand. I don't want to get too graphic here, but I think it's it's good to look at this and see the red flags all along. His only illness was that his lust was longing to be fulfilled. Ladies, be very careful with young men. If a man is really interested in you, if he's a godly man, he's not going to seek to seduce you and do things that you would that would um, compromise you. If he's a godly man who is interested in you, he will respect you and he will respect God and he'll have control over his own passions. Did you hear that? Especially for you, single gals, be very careful. Make sure you give that man plenty of time to prove himself. He can say all the things he wants. Oh, I'm a Christian. Look, I got an NIV. Yeah, never mind that it's brand new and it's still in the plastic wrapping. But look, I got a Bible. Trust me. Be very careful. He might even know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world (laughs) that God gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Let's go out. And some gullible young Christian girl, he's so handsome and he's got such a nice car and I I can't resist him. And she goes out and he tells him everything. Oh, you're just so beautiful. I just, I love you so much. You know, and he's pouring out his heart, gushing, and she's like, he's everything I've ever wanted. And he gets what he wants. Doesn't call her again, doesn't see her again. How often has that happened? In the church, it's happened quite a bit. So ladies, be very careful. Be discerning. Notice, David sent home to Tamar saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Tamar, David's daughter, was being obedient to her father. She was just being obedient. He's my brother. He's my half-brother. I'm glad to do it, Dad. You're the king, and I'm, I'm a submitted servant of yours, even though I'm your daughter. I'll go. So she went to her brother's house as he was lying down. She took the flour. She needed it. She made the cakes in his sight, and he baked the cakes. And Amnon, I believe, was so consumed by his lust that while she was preparing it, while she's preparing it, he's thinking. He's watching her, and he's thinking How am I going to get away with this? What do I got to do to go through with this? And he's looking at her, and his heart is just boiling over. What have I got to do? What have I got to do? I got to do it. I got to make this thing happen. Now is the time. And she took the pan, and she placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Do you you see that? She takes the pan... probably, you know, I like to think of like an old cast iron skillet that's 100 years old, it's all nicely well-oiled, and she holds it out to him, and there's like these big, beautiful cakes, and he's like, uh, I, I, can't, I can't, for some reason, I can't move my arm. I, I think I need some help. I need you to feed them to me. Can you feed them to me? <laughs> and she took the pan and placed them out before him. He refused to eat, and then finally he says, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him, all of his attendants and servants. After all, he is the heir apparent, so he does have servants. And then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made, brought them into Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Red flag. The first red flag was, I want you to bake them in my sight and then feed them to me. The second red flag is, Everybody go out for me. Now it's just, there's no accountability now. Nobody sees anything. See no evil, hear no evil, you know. He says, now bring the cakes into the bedroom. And I wonder, right at that moment, she's thinking to herself, you know what? Something's not, I know in my heart that that young lady was probably thinking to herself, I'm only doing this because I'm the king's daughter and he asked me to help him. I don't believe she had any great desire for him. One commentator said this about unmarried princesses, which she, Tamar, was, that they wore garments of bright colors, and it was a custom which signified their eminence. And no males were permitted to visit the woman's apartments unless by special permission. And even then, there had to be chaperones. And these laws were known throughout Israel. And any man who violated them was considered to be a fool. So Amnon here, that's why she said, are you going to be like a fool in Israel? Do you know what you're doing, Amnon? I want to encourage you ladies to never lose or, or don't ignore your instinct. I believe that God gives gives us instinct. And I believe for their safety, God gives women instinct. He gives them instinct. You may have a check in your heart or an uncomfortable feeling around certain men, even though they've done nothing towards you, but don't ignore that sense. There's probably a reason. And sometimes it's the nonverbal communication that a man is putting off. It could be a number of things. There might be something you're picking up on, and I believe God gives you that. You better just don't ignore that. You can be kind and nice, but if you've got a check in your heart, don't ignore that. Don't ever ignore your conscience when it comes to stuff like that. And pray for discernment. Pray for greater discernment. And I even think a mother has a wonderful instinct. I've seen my wife have an instinct about my daughter, our, our daughter, and do certain things just by instinct. And I'm like, where did that come from? And I know God put it there. Women have a wonderful, mothers have an instinct that is just un. It's unfathomable. It's, a, it's wonderful. They know. Now, in verse 11, it says Now, when he had brought them to, when she had brought them to him to eat, he took her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. But she answered, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. And where could I take my shame? As, as you know, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold you from me. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than he than she, he forced her and lay with her. And it's not just men with women. You remember in Genesis chapter 39 with Joseph and Potiphar's wife? It was actually the roles were reversed then. It wasn't the man going after the woman. It was the woman going after young, swift, smart, good-looking Joseph. And Joseph was very smart. Probably could have been a little smarter not even be in the same building with her because she hatched a plan and left the, you know, the garment and ended, ended him up in jail for some time. But we see that happening. And adultery is something, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 5.27, you've heard that it's been said of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery. And it's the slippery slope, again, of sin. It's a slippery slope. Verse 12, But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. We see another thing in Genesis 34. It's another rape. And again, a topic that's not exciting to talk about of Jacob's daughter, Dinah, being raped by a young man whose name was Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite. And you remember that whole situation. And then in order to get back at the man, a couple of her brothers end up killing a whole village of people, including the man who had raped her. And the man, to his credit, he was willing to pay the the 30 shekels of silver, and take her as unto his wife. But that wasn't enough for these men, because they were angry, you know, you know, and understandably so. And Tamar, as far as we know, was not betrothed at the time. She was still a virgin. And the law goes a step further concerning, concerning those who are even related to each other. What does it tell us in Leviticus? And again, these are, these are really hard things to say, but it's worth noting because that's kind of like front and center for us tonight. Leviticus 18, verse 9 says, The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness shall you not uncover. And the nakedness of your father's uh, wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. In the Leviticus twenty, if a man's verse seventeen, if a man takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. Literally be killed. Capital punishment. Cursed is the man, Deuteronomy says to us, who lies with his sister. All things can be forgiven, and there are Probably even people in this room or even online who have had encounters with siblings in your past. And it's a horrible stain on your heart. But know this, that God can forgive. And you can forgive that person if they if they did something to you. Or hopefully, um, you know, they can um, ask for your forgiveness. Hopefully there can be restoration and healing. That's possible in the Lord, right? But according to the law, Amnon deserved, deserved death. And because he saw his father do a similar thing, and from his perspective, from his perspective, David got away with it, although he really didn't get away with it. There was a death as a result of that union. Perhaps Amnon felt that he wouldn't suffer the consequence. number one, because he was David's firstborn. David would probably do anything to keep him from being put to death. And because of his father's own guilt, he wouldn't exact punishment probably upon him. He would seek to make restitution, do something, but keep his son alive. And notice verse 13 back in our text what she says. She says, And I, where, where could I take my shame? And as far as you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold you, hold me, excuse me from you. And think about this. Tamar thought that according to the law, that Amnon, because she wasn't betrothed, that Amnon could just make her his wife. Even though this thing had occurred, just do the right thing and and take her as your wife. But that's not what he did. And that's why she said later that sending her away was worse than the rape itself. And as the heir apparent to the throne at this time, this would also be her salvation in a sense. Because she'd been humbled to... Having Amnon as her husband would certainly secure her financially and be provided for. I'm um, Certainly she could fall in love with the man perhaps later on after she forgave him. However, verse 14, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, she he forced her and lay with her. And then Amnon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred in which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And he said to her, Arise and be gone. Love is a funny thing, and I've, I've heard it said that love and hate are kind of like the opposite of the sides of the coin. But I think real love, I think real love, real agape love, is not. that's not the case. Because when we think of instances where somebody says they love somebody and then the, they get hurt, and, and naturally it hurts to get hurt, especially it's, it's the one emotion that when you bring somebody into your heart and they break your heart, the emotion of anger can be so great it's true. But for someone to really love that person, even if you're the one who's getting spurned, if you really love them, you're not going to seek to hurt them. And that's a tall order. But I, And I think it's very rare for someone to do that. So she said to him, No, indeed, this is... Evil sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me, but he would not listen to her. And so he called a servant who attended him and put, and said, Here, put this woman out for me and bolt the door behind her. Now she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. And then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went out crying bitterly, the fact that she was thrust out during the day, do you understand if, if, she, if he would have just kept her in the house, nobody probably would have seen this, but do you understand the great disservice that Amnon did to Tamar? By throwing her out in broad daylight, it exposed her to everyone on the street. And not only did it do that, but it insinuated that she was the problem, that maybe Amnon thrust her out because maybe she was trying to play the harlot upon him. And then he is like, no way. You're my sister, out you go. And so it puts the blame on her. Does that sound familiar? The woman always getting the blame placed upon her for something that the man has done? Things haven't really changed, have they? Have they? Because the human heart has not changed. And they'll look at the woman, Tamar, and the, the horrible shame that she went through. Even leaving her veil behind is even a worse thing because now she's got to cover her head and everyone can see her. She's torn her robe. It looks like something has happened. Something obviously very wicked has happened and she's running. And all the servants, all they know is that she got kicked out. They don't even know the real truth. Making her look to be the harlot. Putting the blame on her when the blame was solely on him. And where did he learn that from? David. He learned that from his father, like father, like son. Dads, I want to encourage you to be the best example to your sons. Ladies, be the best example to your your daughters. Husbands and wives, be the best example for your kids. And even if you mess up, even if they mess up and they do a same sin that you've That you have done, and everybody knows that you still have to call it what it is, and you still have to work with them through it, even though it's really hard because you feel like a hypocrite. Can you imagine David now? And and, In fact, David doesn't do anything about this. He totally fails as a dad here. He should have approached Amnon and dealt with this issue, but he didn't do anything. The scripture says he was angry. Well, so what? (laughs) So what? He got angry, but he did Nothing. And why didn't he do anything? Because he's still sore from his own sin. His own moral failure says, I can't even talk to my son. I'm in such a mess myself, and I'm still smarting from it. How can I tell my son that what he did was wrong? But he should have done it anyway. He should have done the right thing regardless. And I would encourage you to do the same. It's so easy when we fall into something, and then we have to tell somebody, maybe a a, a young person in our life, When we got caught and busted doing the same thing, it's hard, isn't it, to go to them and say, you know what, you you really need to turn away from this. Well, what about you? You know, you got caught in the same thing. Hey, listen, this has nothing to do with me. The Bible says this, and I'm dealing with my consequences, but I'm telling you, I'm warning you to not do this. Don't ever let your emotions extort your feelings. (laughs) Don't ever let your own experience keep you from saying and doing the right thing. Do the right thing, even if the devil, he's going to condemn you. Oh, you're going to tell him not to do it, and you did it yourself. Oh, David. Have you, have you, have you experienced that before? You, you, you're like, you've done something. You tell somebody else not to do it, and they throw it in your face. You better be prepared and say, you know what, I've, and deal with that issue before that happens. And say, you know what, I have turned from that. I have repented of that. I've never done it again. But I'm warning you, and I'm telling you, that what I'm telling you, what i am experienced, what I've experienced in my life, what God's word has said is true, and you're seeing it in my life. Yes, I messed up, but I'm warning you not to mess up this way because the consequences are grave. It hurts. It hurts. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? And I, I think about this, and has Amnon, your brother, been with you? It's very obvious. But now I'll hold your peace, my sister. Are you kidding me? Hold your peace? He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. Okay, Absalom, no problem. I'll just, nothing really happened anyway. I mean, it was just, you know, I'll just forget about it. (laughs) Don't take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But King David heard all these things, but notice he was very angry. But he did nothing. He did nothing. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon neither good nor bad for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar and he did nothing. Absalom waited the very next we're not going to go there tonight but you notice in the very next section of this it says and it came to pass after 2 full years. So 2 years goes by nothing has happened. David's done nothing. Absalom has done nothing. This whole thing is just kind of skirted under the rug, and everyone just kind of going on life normal, you know. And Absalom, a very cunning man, a very smart man, he's going to seek to use this to his advantage. He's going to wait for the right time. He's going to wait for the right time before he springs the latch on the snare. The snare, that little stick that goes up and there's a box that rests against it, and that snare comes down, and the animal is trapped. That's what Absalom's going to wait. He's going to wait for the right moment to pull the snare, and he's going to do it. We'll see it next week. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? I want to encourage you, as we uh, Sarah could come on up for communion. As always, we're running a little bit late because I'm... um, I just can't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> well, let's take a moment tonight before we take communion. And because I believe this is very common, the, the, the stuff we read tonight, I'm sure affected at least one of you here tonight, maybe even more. And certainly as this goes out over the radio or on the internet, it's going to hit a number of people. And, you know, what what, is, what do you do in a situation like that when something like that has been done to you? You can walk around your whole life and, and be bitter and angry and curse God, and, and why, God, did you allow that to happen to me? And you may be the one who did it to somebody else, and you feel horrible, and you'd love to meet that woman again and apologize to her and say, you know what, what I did back in high school, what I did back in college in that dorm room, in that frat party, whatever it was, I just want to tell you I am so sorry you imagine how many people would be healed or shot? (laughs) You try to show up with somebody and, hey, I want to tell you I'm sorry. Well, you better back up because I'm going to, you know. (laughs) But let's forgive. Don't walk around with that unforgiveness in your heart. Take that before the Lord tonight, if that's affected you at all. Or pray for others that you know who that has affected because it's a difficult thing to go through. I know people that's happened to. And the scar is so deep. The trust has been so broken. Hearts are so harmed. And they're still walking around like the wounded. And much of it has never been forgiven. It's just under the surface. So as Sarah leads us in a song of worship, Come on up and take the bread and the cup and bring it back to your your chair and we'll take it together, okay? But just, if if, if this makes any sense to any one of you or a couple of you, just take it before the Lord, would you please? And just ask the Lord to give you that heart of forgiveness for someone who's wronged you. And if you've wronged somebody else, if it's the Lord's will and you have it within you and can talk to that person and and ask for forgiveness. What a great thing, what a great conquering thing the gospel can do. Amen? I love that phrase in that song. I'll trade these ashes in for beauty. I believe that's for someone here tonight. To think that something so long ago like we read in this passage which is just the the consequence. And it's going, to be, it's going to get worse, unfortunately. But what the enemy meant for bad, the Lord can turn around and use for good in your life, regardless of those ashes. Let him take those ashes and turn them into beauty. In Christ only, this is possible. I want to encourage you to be forgiving and to forgive. Because after all, that's what this, in addition to communing with the Lord, when we think about what he has done for us, he has forgiven us a great price. He has taken upon himself the great price that I deserve, that you deserve and the forgiveness that he forgave, and the amount that he forgave. It, it, not only was, did he forgive it, but do you understand that he, he gave us something that we could never earn or deserve? He forgave us, but then gave us heaven. He gave us himself. And do you know that you'll never see hell? Do you know that you'll never? The worst that's going to be on this planet is the only difficulty you're going to experience in your whole life. Only what happens here on this earth will be the worst for you and me. But he's forgiven us much. And for those who forgive much, love much. And so let's take this bread and this cup. We know that the bread, Jesus says, take this in remembrance of me, for my body was broken for you. As he endured the the lashes of the of the cat of nine tails, as he suffered the, the thorns, the crown of thorns on his body, as he experienced the piercings in his hands and his feet and the spear in his side and the punching that he endured, the spitting that he had. He says, I, this is my body broken for you. Let's partake. And that same night before he went to the cross. He passed around a chalice, a single cup. Yes, a single cup. (laughs) With wine in it. And he passed it around. And they each took a sip and he passed it around. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. And it hadn't even happened yet. Jesus knew hours from then. It would be done. He was in complete control, and He did this for us. And so, if He has forgiven us so great as He has, let us be about forgiving and seeking forgiveness for the things that we've done. We take it in remembrance of Him until we celebrate His death until He comes. Let's partake. I love the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, don't you? And I pray that as time goes on, it becomes more of a reality to me, because I know in my head and I know in my heart some, but there's still so much more. And I think you can understand with me, there's so much, there's layers to this that I have yet to uncover. Layers of forgiveness, layers of being forgiven. It takes time. And like you, I, I long for that. Blessed are those who hunger after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Right? And blessed are those who forgive and are forgiven. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you for this passage, even though it's a difficult one. Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, you would just continue to encourage us. Lord, uh, we know that there are consequences for sin. And Lord David is certainly... Showing us these things, and Lord and many of us today tonight are are going through still consequences from issues in our life, and Lord, we ask that Lord you wouldn't allow our faith to be to be discouraged while we still go through these things, Lord, help us to be like david to to know that we 've been forgiven and to continue moving forward and and continuing to trust in you, Lord, regardless of the of those things and so Lord Take us by the hand through this process and bring healing where healing is needed and bring forgiveness where forgiveness is needed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you all. And to all, a good night.